This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food, taking a rare opportunity to do something contemporaneous. We have some very well-laid plans already for this week's main pod, so I thought in an effort to both A, provide you all with some sort of service, and B, provide ourselves with a metrics boost, we'd give you a little bonus pod on the day that the Manchester City thing happened. That thing, they have had their two-year European ban overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport and they have also decided that the 30 million euro fine will be reduced to 10 million. Cass heard their appeal against the UEFA punishment last month and have cleared City of disguising equity funds as sponsorship contributions, although did admit that the club failed to cooperate with UEFA authorities. City said the decision was validation of the club's position and the body of evidence it was able to present. So, with me, Hugh Ferris, Andy Hinchcliffe, Rory Smith and Stephen Wyeth, Please follow 10 minutes of initial thoughts about what has happened, and perhaps just a little bit, and we'll, we'll feed it in as we go along, a little bit of a, what's been happening behind the scenes and why perhaps City were so confident all along. Uh, Rory, would you like to start? Uh, not really, no. Because okay, I'm still not, because Tarek's dealing sure. with it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, basically, just Tarek's dealing with it, because that's what Tarek does. But partly, I'm not quite sure. So they've, 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 they've issued the verdict, and I've got to, got to say, I find the way that Cass works on this slightly strange, and this isn't unusual. This is, this is what they do with all of their cases. But this is a legal body that re- reveals its decisions by press release, not generally standard practice. And and then kind of says, oh, we'll put the we'll, we'll explain it to to you all when we when we get around to loading it up on the website. And you're a bit like, well, that's not really good enough. Like, I mean, take your time, lads. Obviously, but the Supreme Court does the same in the states, doesn't it? It delivers a verdict, and then you have to wait a little bit longer for the reasoning, which is written by one of the one of the nine Supreme Court nine. justices. And well, I didn't know that, Hugh. So maybe that. Maybe that, well, that's what they all do. Maybe that's, It's called uh, an opinion. So maybe Cass are copying the Supreme Court in the way that they deliver their opinion after they deliver their judgment. Possibly, yeah. And, and it, what it, what the effect it has to me in this case is I'm, not, I'm still not 100% certain what I make of it. So obviously it's great for City. They're in the Champions League next year. Fine. From what we, from what we can see, I, I would stop short of calling it a complete exoneration. They, they have been told that they didn't cooperate with, with UEFA, uh, which is bad because you should cooperate with a, a body that you can have an opinion on and you can regard as good or bad or indifferent, but ultimately organises the competition that you want to be in. So you should probably, everyone else does it, so why should you be an exception? Um, it's good for City, that's fairly clear. Um, it's bad for UEFA because it's another example of their inability to make FFP stick with the big clubs. FFP, brilliant at getting Levski Sofia to pay their debts, not so good at, at bringing Manchester City and PSG to heel. Um, so those are two fairly clear takeaways. Um, but I think until we get the written reasons, it's hard to know quite like where on the scale it, it falls in terms of, is this the end of FFP? I, I'm not convinced it is, although very obviously it's it's not a shot in the arm for FFP. It, it, if you are an oligarch or a, a state or an owner of other means who who owns a football club, and you, you were looking for a sign that maybe you could go and spend as much money as you wanted and not really get punished for it particularly, you would see this as a as a good thing, I think. I'm not sure that's a great thing for football, but reading between the lines a little bit, it looks like City have got off on a technicality, basically. And that, that will be taken by their fans and by the club and by Manel Estiarte's Instagram feed as complete vindication of everything they've done. And they will it will feed into this narrative of a UEFA agenda against City and and kind of the sense that this richest sports club in the world is in some way the underdog, which is one of the, the kind of metamorphoses that, that I really enjoy. 
but until we see the written reasons, I think we we can't be sure whether this is a a disaster for FFP, the end of FFP as we know it. We can't be sure that it's a, it's it's even a vindication for Manchester City, because if basically they they've been found to have done stuff wrong, but five years and a month ago rather than just under five years ago, I'm not sure that that's not what I would regard as innocence. But until we see the written reasons, we can't really be sure. Uh, it's interesting to, to, to see what uh, we have had so far. This is uh, Monday, and as Rory says, it takes two to three days for Cass to deliver that uh, that slightly longer press release. Um, I like that UEFA note the decision. You only ever note a decision if it goes against you, uh, but they yeah. remain committed to the principles of FFP. But um, the part of the statement that Cass have released says, the award emphasised, that is the award, the decision that they have made, emphasised that most of the alleged breaches reported by the adjudicatory chamber of the CFCB, which is the part of UEFA which made the investigation uh, into Manchester City and indeed does so on behalf of UEFA for FFP matters, uh, were either not established or time-barred. So time-barred, as you say, Rory, because they were they had already been legislated in the initial fine that was levied against Manchester City. Um, so that's, that's the time-barred element. And either not established, so UEFA via CFCB were not able to establish those breaches that they felt were made by Manchester City, even though Cass did admit that they did not cooperate with the investigation. It does seem as though what has been exposed here is that UEFA didn't deal with this situation either to their satisfaction or to a lot of European football satisfaction when they should have done, either because they didn't have the evidence or they weren't able to to collate the appropriate evidence to to punish City in the way that they clear net, clearly now would like to. Because, of course, Manchester City were fined several years ago for breaches of financial fair pay, play, which I assume ties into this, that they, the punishment has been handed down for the crime and they subsequently can't retry them for that same crime a few years later. So whether or not it's the end of financial fair play, only time will tell, but it does seem to have exposed yet more of the problems that I think we already were aware of in terms of enforcing financial fair play. And as Rory has alluded to, uh, those at the very, very top may continue to be able to find ways of circumnavigating it, but there may still be going forward opportunities for UEFA to enforce it on those whose pockets perhaps can't, aren't quite so deep. So the two charges uh, levied at Manchester City were the breaches, but also the uh, lack of cooperation with the investigation. And Cass have said that initially on those breaches that they were either not established or time-barred. So then to move on to the lack of cooperation, they say, as the charges with respect to any dishonest concealment of equity funding were clearly more significant violations than obstructing the CFCB's investigations, which was part two of what UEFA were charging City with, it was not appropriate, say Cass, to impose a ban on participating in UEFA's club competitions for Manchester City's failure to cooperate with the CFCB's investigations alone. So they, having, they say, disproven that UEFA's charge on the um, equity funding, they then say that if that's not the case, then you're trying to ban them on just the lack of cooperation with the investigation, and that was not nearly enough of a breach or uh, worth pe penalising with being uh, thrown out of the UEFA club competitions for two years. I suppose, again, UEFA bring the charges. The Court for Arbitration in Sport can only go on the evidence that's presented to it. So whether some of it is time-barred or that lack of cooperation... Again, they, they can't say, well, we, we kind of know something's not right here, so we can make it... They can't do that. 
they're a cut, they're a court, aren't they? So they can only base it on what this. So again, it just I'm, again about the the future for financial fair play is probably the really interesting thing. Are people going to look at this outcome and really look at it properly and the reasons why this has happened and why City have, to a degree, been um, not exonerated? Well, they have been exonerated, haven't they? Even though they said the lack of cooperation is not the, the worst crime in the world, is it? They have got what they wanted, which was to play in Europe. But what it means for UEFA going forward and financial fair, are they going to be as keen? to again, to try and pick clubs up for these problems in the future. So that's maybe the biggest issue with this. City wanting to play in Europe. The court has assessed all the information that it's got, but it's what it means for UEFA and trying to maybe crack down on, on financial fi- fair play in the future. Rory, you mentioned about the fact that, 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 it, that it is a technicality. There will be lots of people who say, well, pretty much anybody ever gets off on a technicality. And what, 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 Would you describe these two things as technical? or a technicality. UEFA are not a legal body, and that was one of the reasons why they were at least unable to force this through, as City fans would suggest that they were trying to do. And also, the CFCB isn't necessarily UEFA, does not have the same administrative right as UEFA itself, and that's one of the reasons that CAS decided that in in not cooperating with the CFCB, they were not necessarily not cooperating with UEFA, and therefore that the draconian punishment, as Cass decided that it was, was not relevant to what they admittedly, say Cass did, which was to not cooperate with that investigation. No, I I mean, I think, I I know what you mean. I think to an extent, the main thing is, and it it makes sense, is that Cass are basically saying, look, you can't prove that they have cheated in the timeframe that we're, we're able to examine. So you can't ban them for two years from the Champions League because you can't prove that they've done anything wrong. Um, I think the way the, the statement is no is is phrased is is meant to an extent to, to leave unsaid the idea. Look, that's not to say they're innocent of these charges. Mm. It's 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 very much a not guilty rather than innocent. Though that is an important distinction to make, and it it has no impact on City. They can go and do whatever they like now, but the um the it shouldn't be dressed up as Manchester City, you know, UEFA have to issue an apology to Manchester City or anything like that. And many illegal um, battle are fought on, under those terms, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. And the and it's to be honest, from a journalistic point of view, that's really messy because what you're gonna get now is is this split between City fans who think that everybody should be kind of standing down and saying, Oh, well, I'm really sorry we called this all wrong. Oh, haven't we got a terrible agenda against Manchester City? And the reality, which is look, all they're saying is that they can't find them guilty that it's not happened. Does it because it's not relevant because of the timescale that UEFA themselves have imposed? I think there's a competence issue for UEFA that they've they these are their rules. They really should have known about them when they tried to press the case. That is that's a genuine concern. And I think the broader thing is that that you wonder now whether the message that everyone will take from it is that if you play it right, you can get round FFP. That's the problem. I don't I don't know if there's a if there's kind of a smoking gun in what City have done, and in this case, that that proves that FFP is 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 over for good. They've they've already there's been a couple of challenges to it that, that say it's it's anti-competitive, and it's not. The the EU I think just found that it's not. It doesn't contravene anti-competition law. Um, so it's it's not that FFP is just going to sort of implode and not be there anymore. I think the message that the big clubs will, particularly the big clubs, will take from it is if you. If you do it in the right way, if you have sufficient of a legal threat, if you fight UEFA for as long as possible, you can probably get away with pretty much anything you want, anything that's not too flagrant. Um, in terms of the CFCB, this is really this is where, where this subject 
this really important story vaguely kind of becomes boring. But basically, the, one of the problems, I think, is that the CFCB is independent of UEFA, which is good. The CFCB is, in, is invested in finding people guilty and punishing them in a way that the UEFA administration, who then took on the case at CAS, because that's how the process works, they're not really invested in that in the same way. It, it, it's not as important to UEFA that Man City get banned from Europe as it is to the people on the CFCB who find them guilty. And I think that that calls into question the, the, the efficacy of the process, not the honour of the process or whether it's legitimate or anything, but just the efficacy of it. I think what we might end up with, we know FFP has been, been postponed for the summer because of the pandemic. I do wonder now whether this leads to a process where we, we get a re-envisioning of what FFP is meant to be about. And there's a, a totally valid argument that the purpose of FFP was lost somewhere along the way, that it was to do with protecting clubs from debt and from leverage buyouts. Um, it's not really about that anymore. It's about breaking even. And in that sense, it's been really successful because if you look at the, the overall financial performance of clubs across Europe, FFP has done its job. You may now need another set of legislation to try and stop clubs embarking on kind of massively inflated spending sprees, which I think is what we'll get from three or maybe four teams this summer, because partly of the city verdict, but also because of the fact that it's been postponed anyway to the pandemic. I think Rory's onto something that it, the, the change in circumstances since since City were charged and their punishment handed down between that time and this appeal being successful, so much in the world and particularly in the world of football has changed that what has been decided might be seen as being obviously beneficial to Manchester City but possibly even to UEFA as well, because going into the uncertainty of, of next season and in terms of what money there is or isn't sloshing around in football come September compared to what it was 12 months ago, is for the continental game, it might not be such a bad thing that Manchester City will still be playing in the Champions League, still able to invest their money in a way in which it is dispersed around the continent in terms of signing players, in terms of the fact that you wouldn't really have been ideal to go into the Champions League next season without the team that had won successive Premier League titles and finished second this season. It would have devalued the competition to not have had that presence. However you feel about the way that Manchester City have got to this point, they are now one of the dominant forces of English football. And bearing in mind the importance of English football's money to the, the continent and to continental competition, you do wonder whether UEFA and, and others could have ill-afforded to be without Manchester City in Europe for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. People from the outside looking at why wouldn't you want Guardiola and Man City in the Champions League? But clearly UEFA feel there's been some wrongdoing here. So they've they've done what their what FFP is, is there for. But again, it's kind of strange isn't it, to say, well, UEFA have kind of, the way that the, the verdict's been handed down, we kind of, it looks like City have done something, but the, the, the time barred w w was the issue with this. But again, UEFA will think, well, we've still got probably the, the, the most high-profile coach in world football in our competition. We've still got, as you say, one of the greatest teams in the, in the world in our, in our competition. So I just wonder how they will see it, UEFA. Will they see this as terrible news or actually it isn't too bad because, again, Guardiola and the, and the club are, are still in our competition, which, again, for prestige, you, you, you do want. With the utmost respect to Leicester City or even Sheffield United, if UEFA end up with Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea in the Champions League next season, I think they'll be pretty happy with that outcome. It's interesting how this has played out as a kind of a, 
an example of how so many legal affairs take place in perhaps a, a slightly more glamorous uh, line than just kind of football and FFP. And that you, you have a prosecutor who feels like they know somebody has done something wrong and they charge that person. They feel that they have right on their side, but they don't necessarily have the nuts and bolts all screwed in correctly, whereas the defendant in this situation says, prove it, and I know that you've got to jump through a lot of hoops to prove it, and if we are able to undermine that process or undermine the, the veracity which, we, which you feel you have in conducting this prosecution, we will be able to find our way through it. And, and, and you, you see that in any number of, any number of legal dramas on television. It, it's just played out in slightly less dramatic circumstances. But uh, we should wrap this up because it, we promised it would only be short. But I think how Manchester City, we, we've spoken about how UEFA might react. I think how Manchester City react to this uh, is going to be important, certainly for those who aren't Manchester City fans, because there has been these incredibly strongly drawn battle lines. It has been, as we have spoken about before, if you are a Manchester City fan, you have to support your club thick, thin. Well, it's gone from thick to thin or thin to thick, depending on what your, your point of view is. And, and I think, Rory, just to finish off, th there needs to be a certain amount of grace. Should there not be? <laughs> <laughs> Fade out on no. laughter. <laughs> no, it's, look, it's, it, it, it's, the thing about this story has always been that it's actually bigger than Manchester it, it this is really cliche, but it's bigger than Manchester City. It's, the fact that it's Manchester City is kind of, is significant, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's not, it's not a story that is limited to can Man City go and spend lots and lots of money and sign lots and lots of players. It kind of speaks to what football might become, and I think that might is really important. I don't think there's anything guaranteed at this stage. But, you know, if you're Newcastle and you come under Saudi ownership, does, does that kind of change what what you could potentially be trying to achieve. And I think the, the problem there, with, the problem with all of it, actually, to be honest, is that individual clubs, the idea of being able to spend whatever you want is brilliant. So Newcastle fans will, in that weird way that, that tribalism now, now works, Newcastle fans will be delighted that Manchester City have got off because they'll look at it and think, well, now when the Saudis come and take over us, we can spend whatever we like and we can win the Champions League, we can win the title, and we can be a force again. And Everton fans will be thinking, oh, it's brilliant. Mashiri can invest more, more money now. We can, we can be a force. We can, over, we can overhaul the established elite, the, you know, this cabal that's keeping us down. The problem is that in individual cases, that, that's fine. But what it does to the whole football ecosystem is, is completely unbalance it. And I think that's the one thing that FFP... FFP didn't end up doing what it was meant to do. But one of the things that it did do was keep those impulses in check. And that's quite important that... I think I have a real worry that what we'll see this summer and maybe next summer is three teams, Manchester City, PSG and possibly Chelsea, spend a huge amount of money at a time when lots of other clubs basically can't. They'll cherry pick smaller teams who need to sell to you know, balance the books and even, even teams like Arsenal and Spurs might not be able to spend because, because of the impact of the, of the virus. And I think that fundamentally shifts what the landscape looks like and the problem there is that the, the, the clubs who are thinking this means our billionaire can compete see it as a good thing for them but in reality it's no good having the the second richest billionaire because if you can't compete with the first richest billionaire you've still got a problem so i i, I just don't know whether it's it's a it's a good thing for city because it keeps their plan on track whether it's a good thing for football or not is harder to say but the thing is that vast majority of people aren't interested in what's good for football. 
so much as they're interested in what's good in what's good for their club. And something to support what Rory has just said is this unfathomable thought that we will continue to see next season clubs allowed to make five substitutions during the course of a game, which of course is yet another thing that will favour the elite elite clubs and those who do have the ability to spend money don't have to balance the books because they will be able to have stronger and deeper squads as a consequence. And it's interesting to note that one of the things that Manchester City have always said about what's wrong with FFP is that it doesn't allow anybody to enter the elite should they have ambitions to do so. It has been protecting that elite as if it were a cabal. The problem is is that Manchester City are now one of those elite and it'll be interesting to see how they feel about clubs like Newcastle or Everton potentially or any other club from now until the end of time that have a, a very, very rich benefactor come in and buy the club and spend all that money because they are now of that elite. They are the ones that will potentially seek to keep that elite as it is and with them a very important part of it. So that's our thoughts on the Manchester City thing. It's a very, very quick way of summing up the Manchester City thing. Excellent. Really eloquent. That is the Manchester City uh, thing. Uh, we are back, of course, on Wednesday with our normal pod this week. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule, even if that room uh, is required to be a little bit more and longer in this particular week. Thank you to Steve and Andy and Rory and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Very, very soon indeed.